It was a funny old year, 2023, but uh, for MotoGP, it's another case of going back to Banyaya. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 490. Man, we're in the home stretch and the run to 500 here as we wrap up season review season here on Motorsport 101. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking all about the 2023 MotoGP season in review form. I'm your friend and neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could join us as ever um before i really get started um you guys have um, been following and messaging along in in droves since last week's public news became very official and i just wanted to take a quick moment to say uh thank you um it's been a disgustingly overwhelming amount of messages saying dre i can't believe you're gone like dre i'm gonna listen to m101 now hi Glad you could join Thank us. You. Um, welcome we enjoy aboard. your company. Um, yeah, our F1 season review was one of the fastest listened to shows to get to like over 500 plays across the platforms since since this year started. So thank you all for hopping along on the wagon. Glad you could join us. Hope you stick around. Um, and uh, hope you enjoy not just be talking about F1 all the time for a change as well. Um, so that's wonderful so thank you for joining us hope you stick around and uh it'll be just me and my co-host mr cam buckley this week sadly rj's a little bit under the weather with uh christmas flu i know it's doing the rounds like a motherfucker over there at the moment so um yeah get well soon buddy hope to get you on next week for the award show we'll get i'll talk more about that at the end but uh mr cam buckley how are we doing sir um i'd be doing better uh if this wasn't the moto gp review season <laughs> um good start season of season reviews and this season review is uh pain but what else is new what else is new you you there's there's we there's no getting around it if you've been listening to moto gp shows we've done over the course of this year we've not exactly been um rolling out the red carpet for the series this year it's been a difficult year um we've still got issues we need to address and talk about over the course of the season but we'll try and spin up some of the positive there'll, there'll certainly be one for a certain manufacturer in here which we'll get to later on in, in the meat and potatoes of the show um as well which we'll definitely address um down the back end but um yeah we this is our MotoGP gp season review episode hope you guys enjoyed the show as ever and uh yeah we're gonna go factory by factory through the grid through 2023 so honda will be up first in reverse championship order we've got honda then yamaha aprilia in the midfield then ktm and uh ducati who uh beat the field over their knees all year long um and we'll get into some of that over the course of the next hour and change or so but um places you can find us real quick while while we're here um you can follow me on on twitter uh, i've changed the username back i won't be doing that again anytime soon dre harrison 101 if you want to follow me on twitter and instagram cam has not changed c buckley 917 he's he's loyal to his uh his, his porsche brand and that's not going to change anytime soon if ever uh mm. <laughs> You can follow Motorsport 101 on Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101. You can follow us on Instagram at Motorsport 101 Pod. And by the time this goes out, you'll be 
also will be able to follow us on TikTok. We'll be on there as well now, providing highlights and extra video bits from yours truly. I won't tell you the username just yet. I'll leave it in the description by the time this goes out, because by the time it goes out, obviously I don't know what usernames are available and what isn't yet, so we'll try and get something quirky. You leave uh, our username up for grabs, you little rascals. Yeah, the underscore in M101 is there for a reason on Twitter. The original one I wanted was taken. In the same way that Harrison 101 has been taken on Twitter since 2009. <laughs> 2009! It's, it's, it's the worst. I hate social media. Um, you can also uh, follow, us, follow us on our website, motorsport101.com. Uh, part one of the full written version of my thoughts on the MotoGP season is already up there, as well as the 11,000 words strong uh, F1 season review in three parts. If you haven't checked that out already, if you're into your four wheels, I wrote a lot of shit about Formula One this year, and you can check that out if you haven't already. Maybe part two of the MotoGP review will be out by the time this goes out. Can't guarantee it. It's, been, it's, it's a busy time in the, in the life of Dre as we run up towards Christmas, but I will try my very best to get part two out before the weekend. So uh, look forward to that as well. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 to follow us on there. A bunch of extra perks uh, and fun stuff on there as well if you're that way inclined. I'm just looking at my email inbox now because I did want to give somebody a shout out because they have backed us on there. Give me just a second here. Da, 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 da. Massive thanks to Ben Fifield and Yang Yang Zhou who together have put in a pledge to join us on Patreon. Thank you very much for backing us and supporting us. Very, very much appreciated. Um, really, really appreciate that. So thank you. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into our 2023 MotoGP season review. Right. All right, crew. You know the drill. You know how we do these things. We are going to go in reverse constructor order, and man, we start with Honda. We do start with Honda. We we, mm. uh, we know the drill by now. We do this in reverse championship order, and and Honda did lose that wooden spoon battle with Yamaha by eleven points in the end. So Honda gets to go first. Now we promised ourselves we wouldn't talk about this in too much detail because, well, we, we've been talking about it for long enough. <laughs> yeah, if you've been listening to this show all year, you know for a fact that we've ragged on this manufacturer all year long. I don't think you need to you need me to go into too much detail as to why they've struggled. Mark Marquez, the talismanic rider, was 14th in the championship this year with 96 points. Just one Grand Prix podium, three in the sprints. He was pretty good over half distance, but not over the full race distance for Honda and tyre-related reasons. Yoan Mir was 22nd. Alex Rins was 19th. He only, like, Alex Rins outscored Yoan Mir 2-1, despite the fact Rins only did seven races this year, which kind of says it all, really. Um, yeah, and, and a couple of those were barely, given the state of his leg. Um, yeah. Takanakagami, uh, 18th in points on 56th. Uh, I mean, kind of just, he, he was the safe pair of hands, if anyone is safe on that bike. Um, best mm. finish of 8th, but a really anonymous year for that reason. Um, 
Oh, God. When you think you hit rock bottom, there's always a rockier bottom below that. And Honda's 2022 was bad. This was an entirely different level of just really, really poor from everyone involved. Um, everything they did to the bike was... I mean, they outsourced manufacturing of the bike. Swing yeah, they arm gave, and frame. They gave up their, their swing arm to Calex. Calex built them an entirely new frame, which they debuted at Le Mans. The signs were initially promising, but then it didn't really make a massive it didn't, difference. Didn't over move the, the needle much. Uh, it, it, there's just it was just another year of Honda spinning their wheels while everyone passes them by. I mean, we're gonna get to them the other side of Japan later, but even in the second half of this year, Yamaha looked like they were in way better shape, and their bike is slow. Yeah. Um, and the, they're dealing a with a lot kind of, of the same conundrum. Yeah, they're dealing with a lot of the same kind of conundrum within their team about the technical direction of their bike and their own marquee rider with feels like one and a half feet out the door. Um, We've said enough about Mark Marquez. I think that much is pretty obvious. And I think he is loving life now, given he is (laughs) on uh, given given the compilations of shit eating grins from the postseason test in Valencia. (laughs) um but i'm gonna look actually to the other side of the garage yoan mir's stock was dismantled to the base this year i cannot think of a dre it's the worst year by a world champion i can remember this was worse than jorge lorenzo's 2019 like this was like I, I didn't Horrible. think the bar could get any lower. Like Mir was Mir scored almost half his points from that one top five finish he had in India, which was one of the few rounds that suited Honda over the course of the season. Marquez was running podium level pace until he had an early near crash, like he's like he's done in the past. But Mir only took part in fifteen races this season through injury and and other crashes because he had a lot of those he had like 20 26 27 crashes on the course over the course of the season between these two they broke the half century on crashes with races to spare yeah they did it in sapang with with two rounds left they were over half a century for the year i wasn't i was surprised mark marquez didn't get off a a bike at some point and then raises back to the pavilion like he was playing cricket um and yeah Johan Mir only finished. (laughs) Yeah, Johan Mir only finished six Grand Prix all season. Six out of twenty. That's an for a guy who was not renowned as a crasher, and for a guy who won his championship through having the high floor, having the consistency while everyone else was melting down. That is unconscionable. Yeah. a guy that won a world title on consistency and mitigating errors. He has had his worst season in Grand Prix comfortably. Um, and he's now going to be their team leader. He's now going to be spearheading the direction of this team, you would feel. Um, he's had the extra year of experience. He knows this bike better than anybody else in that camp now. Um, it, look, the ramifications of the all-in Marquez approach 
Mir is the biggest victim of that, without question. And it goes across to the LCR teams. All like Alex Rins had that leg breaker that was so horrifying that not even Dorna replayed it, which kind of says it all. Given that Dorna will replay yeah. people literally dying, they never showed a replay of Alex Rins's incident. We still, to yeah. this day, do not know how how horrifying that incident actually was. Um, and this is a guy that won a race this year. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, in in a, a track that kind of mitigates a lot of what the Honda does badly. Um, Rins, with Marquez being absent after his Portimao crash, he was there to take the spoils when Benyaya threw it up the road. Yeah, and then the bike broke him for it. One of the worst leg breaks in recent memory. Um, he's still not right. We still don't know what state he's going to be in going into next year. That has obviously hurt his preparation, um, having switched to the other side of Japan, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, I mean, he, um, just to quickly explain, he had to have a second operation on that leg because they figured out something was wrong with him. And he once, once he got back on no, the bike, he, and he, he had a shard of bone again. that was impinging on a nerve. Yeah. Is that good? He was in immense pain. Is that in any way, shape, or form good? No. That is a leg that is not healed properly. No. Awful. Um, I mean, getting to the bigger the bigger ramifications of this year for Honda, I mean, obviously they lost they lost their Shohei Otani. They lost their Tom Brady. They lost their talisman. Um, Mark is gone. Mir is team leader. And this less than a year after he first tested this Honda and got off of it with a thousand yard stare. This Alex Rins bailing to go to the other struggle bus manufacturer in MotoGP because he felt undervalued and this bike quite literally broke him. Yeah. And Taka Nakagami, who, you know, I like Taka. But putting him back in the microwave for another year, it's, 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 it's just, he was just sort of there all year. You're only supposed to reheat your food once, not twice. We all know that it's, there's a good chance that Nakagami wasn't even meant to come back for this year because of Ayagura and the fact that he didn't want to be he didn't want to be in an LCR's MotoGP team in 2022 because he didn't feel like he was ready. Came back for 23 this year, mangled his wrist in preseason testing, and it completely derailed Agura's season. Um, it, it, yeah, it, the, the Agura it, surprise was a bit effectively a season-ending injury. He was never the, he, He's still not 100% from that. Yeah, and mangled. Uh, like it was a really yeah, was horrible, bad. like, Toesland-level wrist break. Like, it's rough and by the way just as a quick side note he's had surgery on his wrist again this week and uh Tosin's one of the good dudes in bike racing to get well soon James hopefully you can finally get some mobility in that wrist again which goes to show you that the man had to the man had an incredible career and had to retire in his early 30s because he was going to lose the ability to move his wrist um you know it you, you don't you can't afford to fuck that up if you're a bike racer because if you if you fuck it up too bad you can't move it's, it it's everything yeah and that's a that's a quality of life adjustment let alone you not you're not able to ride bikes again that's a you have a disability now problem um and i mean 
God, how we're ending this season, right, with Honda. Um, they went into 2023 with probably the best rider lineup in the field. Probably. The two high points of that are now gone. The other high point of that has no stock anymore. And you now have the people you begged and pleaded and cut huge checks for to pry them away from other manufacturers because multiple riders turned you away, said, we don't want your problems. Look, I will say this. I don't think they've done too badly to get Johan's Zarco. Given what was on the table, yeah. I yeah, agree. like that they've done well to get Zarco is like Zarco just had his best season in MotoGP. He was fifth overall this year. Zarco is one of the most experienced and also versatile riders in the field. He's ridden something like this bike in years prior. So he actually has a little bit of Honda experience. If if you wanted a decent veteran who is prepared to be patient because he wants the long-term security of his future. Because that, that's part of the reason why he, he went to Honda. He, he openly said Pramac would only give me a one-year deal. He wanted the two-year guarantee, and Honda was prepared to give it to him. And that's understandable. You, when you're in your mid-30s, you want to make money. And Honda's at least prepared to open its wallet to someone, and they're doing that for Zarco. I think that's a good mm. move. I think he's a valuable guy to have in that camp somewhere as a as a mouthpiece, as a development head. And look, I think he's the Luca best Marini, person they could have gotten as far as yeah, moving the and, bike forward because that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, and Marini is here. a good rider. He, he's a, he has improved. He's a genuinely very quick rider now. Um, we'll get to him later on in the, over his season, but he's very fast over a lap, very fast in, in, in the sprint format. That's where he excelled most, and he's now a top 10 rider in the field. So have you heard he's Valentino Rossi's well. half brother? It never it, it never gets mentioned. Um, Valentino, a member of the Rossi family back at Factory Honda. This is rough. This is weird. Team leaned into that. It's it's kind of a weird vibe that, but that's very much a real thing now. Um, but, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, no matter who they bring in for their riders, no matter who they bring in for team management because there's been much made of the potential picking up of Davide Brivio. Mm. That doesn't fix what's going on here. No. Davide is a people person. He's not a bike person. Absolutely. He will manage that team as well as anyone on this grid. But the team and the people on the ground are not the problem. The problem is the bike. Um, And maybe... Maybe we've seen some shoots of recovery in postseason, but we've also been here before. The the 2024, the proper 2024 Honda did get reasonably warm welcome from Mir, from Marini, um, pretty much everyone who rode it, other than Zarco, who then threw one up the road. <laughs> Still, um, it's a positive, a net positive, I would say. I, I think Honda came away from that test quite happy. There's more the problem is that the coming. same thing happened in 22. That that's On the problem. Heavily, like, it, it, yeah, it, is this fool's gold? Track helps them. Yeah. Like that's the question. Is it is this fool's gold? Is like have they genuinely found something? I don't know. Like there was, I saw David Emmett share this the other day that they've got more parts coming from Japan this week as well. Like it looks they don't like have a choice. Yeah, they, it this looks is like the mode they have, of working that they have to operate in now. Yeah, it, it looks like they've hit the panic button now that Marquez is gone. It's like, okay, 
we've lost Marquez. We need to go all in on this bike. This this should have happened a year and a half ago, quite frankly. Should have happened um, before that. I mean, when your entire strategy is, well, Mark will deal with it for over half a decade. Eventually, that's going to come to bite you. And it's not. I don't think it's going to stop biting them for a while. Yeah, I just... <laughs> this is not going to be fixed overnight. This is not an overnight problem fixed. This is a, we have a significant problem with this, with, with this bike, and it's going to take years to make the gains on the field that they need to, to make this comfortable. There's a spark of hope. Like I said, that Valencia test was probably a net positive for them overall. They needed something to hang on to. But... You know, it's it's a long road back. You know, they have they they will inevitably they have taken a dip in quality of rider. There is no question there. Mark Marquez is gone. No one can ride a Honda like Mark Marquez ever has. Um, and this is coming from a guy that likes Marini and likes Zarco as riders. I think they are better than I think a lot of people give them credit for. And I think they're two ideal candidates to try and put this team back together. I mean, look, Marini walked away from one of the best teams in MotoGP to go to Honda. He's got, he's, and I, I, he's been largely praised as a thinking man's rider. I like dudes like him, and I think they've done well to have them in their camp. But the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. I want to see what this team can do in Sepang when that test rolls around in February. I'm going to be very curious to see what the media dialogue and the conversations will be when we get to Sepang because... Uh, they need they need to show something because Honda's not going to tolerate being at the bottom of the standings three years in a row. Like that's that that we are, we are already in, we we have not lived in that world. That no. world has not existed in Grand Prix motorcycle racing since before Honda switched to the two strokes for eighty three. Yeah, this is a this is this is unprecedented territory for Honda, and that's why I think now they're acting out because they've looked. Before I move on, as I wrote about this in part one of my season review, there is such a thing as superstar fatigue. I've said this before. We're baseball mm -hmm. fans here. Shohei Atani going to the Dodgers was a massive story, and it deservedly was a massive story. Him going there for $700 million and then deferring 680 of that money is an outrageous sports story, whether you're a baseball fan or not. That is the sort of athlete that Mark Marquez is. It, when it when it leads to knowledgeable pundits like Ben Verlander saying dumb shit like he's the most important Dodgers signing ever, ignoring Jackie Robinson was a thing. Um, <laughs> it puts into when, perspective when you have people like Mad Dog Russo saying this morning that Shaq isn't a top five all time center, which by the way, may be the worst ever. basketball take ever. ever. That uh, is. <laughs> That is that insanity. Is a, that is a horrible take. No, but the point I'm getting at is that yeah. that is the level of superstar that Honda has lost here. This is their Shohei Atani moment, and, the, and Honda are now the Angels figuring out what they're going to do with their broken roster and another superstar like Mike Trout, who might not stick around knowing that his other key piece to a potential title run is gone. Uh, and that'll be one to keep an eye on, as it is as well. But uh, if you're a baseball fan, but in general, the Honda are now the Angels. They now have to figure out how to rebuild, and that's not going to be an overnight process. Good luck to them, and good luck to Honda, because I think they're going to need it.
Um, let's go across. Let, let's go across the aisle, Japan-wise, to Yamaha. <laughs> a bastion of positivity. Um, a beacon. Monster Energy Yamaha <laughs> MotoGP. Oh God. Fabio <sighs> Bonarara was tenth in the standings, three podiums, one sprint podium in Assen. You know, three third places on the year. Frankie Morbidelli was thirteenth um, on one hundred and two points. He peaked at, at the fourth in the sprint in the race in Argentina. Um, that was a, that was a fun weekend. We talk about Honda and the fact that Honda have lost their show. Hey, with Mark Marquez going to Ducati, are we a year away from Yamaha potentially having the exact same problem with Fabio Quartararo? Because it feels like the time the timer is running down on this time no, bomb. Because no. I think on. the time's already run out. You reckon? I I, I I think Fabio's already gone. Um, because I don't I, the way he talked about uh the bike post uh pre or post postseason test, um, that they need more. I don't think Yamaha is going to be able to produce more. Um, because I don't versus Honda, where I think they are just they are completely out to lunch with what to do with the bike. Mm. I think Yamaha has the core of something here. Um, yes. The problem is that they've got two camp, two different sides of the camp trying to pull the bike in different directions. You've got Cal Crutchlow, who has been screaming at Yamaha to take their fundamentals that they're already good at and improve them and get the rest of the bike just well enough that it can all work together. The smoothness, the cornering, the 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 ability to carry that apex speed that only an inline four can. And Fabio Quartararo on the other side of the aisle saying, well, just give me more power and I'll deal with the repercussions. Well, that's what happened this year and it was an unmitigated disaster. It, it made this Yamaha practically unrideable around certain tracks because the bike just can't get the power to the ground. I was going to say, like, maybe we shouldn't be pinning all your development hopes on a 23-year-old rider who's only had four full-flight seasons. That's that's a little bold. Um, and I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, Cal Crutchlow is one of the most dependable people in MotoGP's He's ridden paddock. everything in the sport, man. He's ridden everything in the sport. He was a great rider in his day, a multiple-time race winner. Um, it was And one of the few people that was a genuine top six rider in the sport on a Honda and a Yamaha. That doesn't happen very often in this sport. Like I don't, I actually think Britain didn't, I think Britain was a bit of I I think we actually kind of undervalued Cal Crutchlow as a rider when he was around, because he was really genuinely good um, for a long time. And he was just, he was just outclassed by the aliens of this era. But I digress. It's, (laughs) Fabio is in an interesting place, and like I, I actually slightly disagree with Cam on this one in that I don't think it's set in stone. I think Fabio has become a bit more accepting of his situation. He, he said after Valencia that the back end of the year, his results weren't as bad as he thought they were going to be. Um, it, it says to me, this is a guy that, who, let's not forget, earlier this year was making bold statements around Misano saying, Give me something to ride here or else I'm gone. And he's kind of walked it back a little bit since then. I don't think it's set in stone he's going to be leaving Yamaha at the end of next year. Um, I think there's a reasonable chance he stays. 
and I think they have to show him something that uh, maybe I'm they not have. sure they're capable of. Maybe they have, but if they have it, then why is it on the bike yet? I don't know. It's, it's not. It's not for a lack of resources. Yamaha has more money than God. And so does Honda. Maybe the fact it's a more stable platform and the fact that they have been able to punch a little bit higher than Honda on a good day has been enough to give to temper some of Fabio's because it's something I mentioned in my season review piece as well. Fodorara and Marquez are close. They have both found a lot of. I guess misery loves company vibes in their respective struggles. And they've joked about it on social media that, you know, we're both at the back and Quadraro has spoken glowingly of Marquez and his patience of just trying to figure out how to ride that Honda. He knows how good Mark Marquez is as a bike rider and he knows what he's been going through, right? Quadraro has the luxury of being seven years younger than Mark. He's still mm. only 24 years of age. He's a baby in MotoGP. I wonder if Fabio will look at the Marquez situation and use that to influence his inevitable decision because he is a free agent at the end of next year and it's a massive free agency in MotoGP next season. Both factory Ducatis, Jorge Martin, um, Mark Marquez will be a free agent again. Yaman Mir will be a free agent again at the end of next year. These are big names. Like, like again, Maverick is, is a free agent. Alicia Spargaro is a free agent. This fuel will likely get blown up by the middle of next year, knowing how we know how this sport goes. I think I think some of the big names like Banyaya will stay, for example, but there is a there is a chance we're getting a full-blown UK government style reshuffle in the cabinet here. So and Quadro is is big money. He's young. We all know he's a world champion. We know he's he should have contended for at least a couple more world titles. He is incredibly valuable as a bike rider to have in that camp. And a factory will pay big money to bring him in. No question. I have I make no bones about that. He's he's a there's I'd argue he might be the best rider on the planet to build a team around right now, given he's young, fast, and dependable. But there's no better formula because he's he's three years younger than Banyaya as well. People forget that. He's you know, he, he's, he's the ideal candidate for a rebuild. And Yamaha knows that. So I don't know if if Fabio is, is thinking about an exit or thinking about whether he's going to stick it out and sacrifice two more years of his career to find out whether the Yamaha can get back up the field or not. Because they've got fundamental problems. They are not crash happy, but they are slow. And that is an issue. Um... Even at the test, they still looked massively off the pace. Like, at least Honda showed a little something where they were like, okay, at least the bike's fast. Um, but we knew that about Honda. Yamaha are, are just slow, and that's an issue in of itself. Yeah, and it, it's kind of a theme with the Japanese bikes as well, where rather than it being this holistic approach to the whole bike, of engine and electronics and aero and chassis and swing arm. It just feels a little bit like the Japanese manufacturers, and they said it themselves, they're three years down on the aero wars. 
uh, compared to those like Ducati, those like Aprilia, who pretty much are all like Arrow might be Aprilia's biggest ace in the hole right now. Um, mm. With these two manufacturers, while they continue to stick bits onto their existing bikes, rather than take the entire approach top to bottom to go into the Arrow and Ride Height device era, I really don't see them getting back up the grid. It's not going to be. I mean, look, we we I think, know. I think change is that fundamental that that might influence Fabio to go elsewhere to an Aprilia, who are going to have a very interesting rider conundrum um, to a mm. KTM or, God forbid, a Ducati. Yeah, um, it, it's worth talking about the rest of Yamaha before we move on, real quick. I mean. Frankie Morbidelli was not kept on. He's going to Pramac next year, and uh, shout out to his agent because that fifteen percent is clearly going places. Um. <laughs> yes, the dude fell straight to the moon, right into the best team and bike in the field. Um, but I mean, in fairness to Frankie, he actually had a pretty good year overall for considering where he's been. This is the first time where I think we've seen flashes of the old Frankie before the catastrophic knee injury. He ran Fabio a lot closer than he has in the last two years. Yeah, definitely. Not the bar very high. I mean, it seemed to me that he excelled a lot more towards low grip situations. I think that's why he was so strong in Argentina um, when it rained for a good chunk of that weekend, and he was fourth. That was clearly his best weekend on the Yamaha since the Patronus days when he was with the customer team. Um, first half was pretty good second half eh, not so much yeah I'm, I'm to be fair by that point the decision had already been made you know like he, he was he was mm. gone by by silverstone basically they knew they were going to move on and alex rins had become available and if you can get alex rins you sign alex rins um and rins is a top five rider in the world now for for me Yamaha now has the best single rider lineup in MotoGP. They have a top three rider in Fabio and they have a top five rider in Rins. No other team has that across both their seats. And I still don't expect jack shit out of them next year because, uh, I mean, wild. even in race pace, if they're all right, they can fight for podiums, they can fight for top fives, but this bike cannot qualify. Yeah, and it's, it can't qualify, and then it can't pass anything going down the straights. Mm, fundamental problems across the board with Yamaha, and yeah, they've they've got the best run. Like they've got a, a Rossi Lorenzo esque rider lineup in this team relative to the field again, so they really haven't got an excuse to perform now. It's their best lineup since they had Maverick and Fabio there two years ago or three years ago. Um, they need to figure this out. Like it's. With Honda, yes, they're a mess, but you can see where the speed is there a lot more than Yamaha. Yamaha, it's it's so set up and track dependent that it feels like an outlier when Fabio gets it on the podium, which he did do three times last year. But again, it's it's similar to where Honda's at, only not quite as headline grabbing, given they're not crashing anywhere near as much. But I digress. Let's get into Aprilia. They were in a very interesting sort of scenario themselves. Um, Alicia Spagaro, sixth in the points, 206, two wins on the year rather than one this time round, uh, winning in, in Barcelona um, and Silverstone. 
uh, had a sprint win on top of that as well. Maverick Vinales was right behind him, just two points back on 204. Had a pole position in Valencia, which he kind of chucked away via uh, engine exploding in warm-up. Three uh, podiums of his own. Finished second place three times this year, including that Portimao race where he was really close to Bangaya. It wasn't quite enough to pass him for the win. A couple of sprint podiums as well. Uh, the RNF uh, satellite team, not so strong. Miggy 16th in the points. Um, finished fourth was Dean Miguel Oliveira. Apparently, we, we you only took you needed like sixteen races this year because he was so dinged up all the goddamn time. Oh, what's an RNF? Um, apparently it's a crypto bro. Um, they're they're, they're gone now. Don't worry, they can't they're hurt dead, you anymore. Yeah. They're dead. More on that in just a minute. But uh, Ralph Fernandez was twentieth in the points as well with fifty one. He had a fifth place to end end the year in Valencia. Nice strong result there from Raul at the end. But a bit of a tricky year for him too. A pretty is an interesting spot for me, Cam. I mean, they're they're the target. Their target was second um, on the year. The target was finished second in the championship, constructors-wise. And they were on the way towards doing that. They did overtake Yamaha in the standards, which is good. But then they got beaten themselves by KTM, who are now second in in the constructors for themselves. Do, do still you taste third. a little bit of Alpine F1 here? Yeah, it's like you would beat you beat somebody that slipped, but you were also leapfrogged by someone who was better than you, and that's kind of the problem. Um, like Massimo Rivera, who you may know as former Ferrari sporting director, who now runs the Aprilia team, did a long interview with Simon Patterson, which I recommend you go out and read at the race. It was very insightful. Um, said that they're actually quite disappointed at how this season played out. They wanted to be challenging Ducati more frequently this year. And on a good day, they still very much could. They they they, they did win in Catalonia. Again, a pretty is very similar t- for me to where they were last year. Strong in low grip conditions, not so much everywhere else. This is the races. <laughs> this, this, this was their welcome to the big leagues moment where they had this amazing you know run of form last year you can make legitimate arguments that alicia spargo could have won last year's championship were it for fewer reliability and uh, self-inflicted errors well you could say that about everyone um who fought for that title but they made a pretty radical change to their bike this year kind of across the board much more aggressive arrows if it wasn't aggressive enough we now have ground effect on motorcycles porpoising free and it just feels like they spent a lot of time this year not knowing how to set the bike up whereas where at their peak they might have the best bike in the field genuinely when that bike is on it it is almost like a mix of the Ducati's power and traction with the Yamaha smoothness. Yeah, those those bad. two... I, yeah, I need to point out the two wins yeah. that Aleish got this year were exceptional wins. Like, like, like Barcelona... Yeah, I pretty a curb stomped everybody. Like, Jorge Martin was, was, the, was the next Ducati back uh, in, that, in that Grand Prix. Um, you and, don't blow Jorge Martin away on raw speed easily. No, and both Aprilias did. That was the point. They were in a field yeah, of their they, own. They rode day. away from him. Yeah, and in Silverstone, when the rain came down and the track got really greasy out there, all the Aprilias excelled. All of them. Like, as Spargaro was strong, 
Maverick was strong for most of that race. Miguel Oliveira went on an absolute berserk. Rain God. Still <laughs> the rain god. Still the rain oh. god. Miguel Oliveira. What a guy. And um, and that was Raul Fernandez's first top 10 finish in MotoGP that day at Silverstone as well. So all the Aprilias made significant gains when the rain came down. That Aprilia gives its riders more confidence when tracks are slippery. It, it, it just works. Um, in those the sorts problem, of conditions. The problem but, is, Dre, is that when it doesn't, it's just there. Um, usually kind of in the pack of fighting Ducatis, but not capable of fighting people like Banyaya, people like Bez, people like Martin, who can get that little extra something out of the Ducati. And for much of this, I mean, for the back half of the year, there were times where KTM looked clear of them too. Um, it was never especially bad. It's just they they swung anywhere from utterly dominant to anonymous, and there wasn't a real rhyme or reason to it. Um, sometimes they just went on the track and they went out with their setups and they just weren't very quick. Rivera said that they felt like they they had won their weekend on a Friday, and that's not what they wanted to do for this season. They said they were like. It's it's the it's the trap we've we've railed on them in the past for like we're really strong in practice sessions but they can't convert that into races. Um, yeah, I think that tracks. I think they the next step for them they got to get the operating window of the spike wider. Um, because the, you know why the Ducati is good because the Ducati the Ducati is good everywhere, in all conditions. High grip, low grip, power track, traction track. It doesn't matter. The Ducati is always good. The Aprilia seems to only really excel against it when the grip is low, when the track is greasy, when it's a confidence game. Um, And you are not going to beat Ducati being a one-trick pony. But at least I can say I don't think the quality of the rider is the problem anymore. Because, no. no, because that's what uh, I started to get into with uh, with you out on your uh, internet uh, <laughs> vacation. Um, Alicia Spargro no. is still him. Yeah, still look. If if a pretty had the third best bike all year, on average, on par is what I would say. And the fact that there was mm. eight dudes on strong Ducatis for Alicia to finish sixth is still a pretty damn good season all told and this time on Ducati yeah and this time Maverick Vinales was right there to back him up this year because he was only two points behind basically without the the peaks of a later season pretty much a carbon copy this was a much better year for Maverick Vinales and I'm glad that he's starting to figure this Aprilia shit out now He's had, he's had to out in general is, is this the first time he's truly put together an at par season for where he should be it feels like it might be. It might be. Certainly since certainly since his early Yamaha days. And maybe the Suzuki days were maybe really say, good. I would say Suzuki. Um, because he certainly never went at par at Yamaha. That's for damn sure. Um, started off one of those years on fire, though. But the, the other thing that strikes me as well, looking at Alicia's season, he only had three podiums and two of those were the wins pretty much everything else is top five or is fifth or lower. Just, yeah, just strong seasons across the board from a prettiest factory riders. 
um, positive signs that they are both figuring this bike out, figuring this setup out, and it's a it's a pairing that's stronger now, I think, together than it than it was a, a year and a half ago, um, which is certainly a good step in the right direction. Um, obviously, not the same for R and F, but that team is now dead. That team is dead, and in Rest comes and piss. Pay your bills, crypto bros. Yeah, it's it's funny we we talked about this that the day after we recorded that MotoGP season finale podcast, it turns out that Crypto Data had uh, smoothed things over with Dawn, which I think says to me they probably paid their bills <laughs> ran, and ran off. home between with their tails between their legs. Yeah, it's like they probably took the money that Justin Marks gave them for track house to buy them out, use that debt to pay off Dawn, and then pissed off. Basically, because it is now officially. We can now call it the Trackhouse Racing MotoGP team. Um, they've retained both their riders, Miguel Oliveira and Raul Fernandez. And I mean, did you see the presentation last week with with them and Justin Marks and and uh, some bits of the Dorner guys? Yeah, bits of pieces. I mean, I watched it. They're all. serious. They're dead serious. No, this, this this is not this is not a dog and pony show. This is not them you know, picking up scraps and thinking, well, hey, we got an easy foot in the door, let's coast. No, Justin Marks is serious about this. And I I've read like I got I got very lucky Simon Patterson shared a, a long form interview we had. He got yeah, 20 minutes with Justin last week. And I read the interview and my eyes lit up. He gets it. Justin absolutely gets it when it comes to not only what he feels like he can bring to the table with Trackhouse, but also the value of MotoGP as a sport and what he can bring to the table to enhance it. Massively impressed with his interview. Um, again, go out on the race, go out of your way to read it. It's well worth it. It's a fantastic interview. Um, and I was very impressed by what I saw. You I mean... There, there were some easy wins and there were some easy ticks in the win column here. Pulling out a Nicky Hayden tribute livery is always going to go down well. Um, they lean. Yeah, tribute to his, uh, what was it? His 08 Ducati. Yeah, his, his testing livery. Yeah, it was the, 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 the Star Spangled Banner livery. Full leaning This bike in. has no idea what a kilometer is. No, no none whatsoever. It, it's, it's not a fucking clue. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know they keeping they, the riders. They're keeping the riders, which I think they should. I mean, that's absolutely the right decision. Like, I don't see any reason to change either of their riders right what, now. When Miguel Oliveira wasn't getting hit by every cartoon anvil in the state, he was pretty good. And this was of a team with last year's Aprilias that generally were not competitive we're in the grand scheme, in the scheme of things, and they had a team that was no longer funding them halfway through the year. Well, they were having to reuse parts because yeah. the team couldn't afford to because no one was paying their bills they were right. basically running on something more akin less to last year's aprilia and more like one of the old satellite team bikes where yamaha would pick t parts out of a dumpster for tech 3 to use yeah just just vibes and and whatnot to say the least so yeah like all things considered um you give both riders a pass for last year automatically and 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 call it you know call it even for this year and it's worth pointing out like justin has confirmed they have paid the extra few million they're going to have 2024 machinery f straight from the rip 
with this yeah, team. They're the effectively going to be more like a Premac where they are operating out of the factory directly with a direct line to Aprilia. They're going to have equal equipment. And this is good all around. First mm. of all, this team is probably going to pay their bills. I mean, if those of you who listen to our bike shows, if you don't know Trackhouse and NASCAR, they have been a phenomenal success over the last few years. Um, from the bones of many a racing team, including Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. So we can say that this team is doing it for Dale. Mm. Uh, categorically, they get it and they know how to build a team. They know how to get great people performing. And they've gone from being not a team in the last five years to being a championship contending team in NASCAR. That's not easy to do when you consider just how competitive that series is. Um, this helps Aprilia. They've got four bikes that are going to get equal data. Yeah. They're not going to be splitting their resources. These are four of the same bike. We don't know how the 2024 RSGP is going to get on, but if setup was a question mark this year, and I think that is the biggest question mark over this team is do they know how to set up a bike after Friday? Well, now you have two more bikes to get data from two mm-hmm. quality riders that is yeah. invaluable invaluable you've got a very very fast Raul fernandez and miguel Oliveira, who we've always said on this show is a quality Rain god he's a he's one quality bike away from being a world-class rider in my opinion and this might be the one for him mm. and like from a cultural standpoint this is massive for the sport like it's it's a an american big, team a big we've got an american team on the grid for the first time since the roberts team back in the mid 2000s um which was the dying embers of leftover suzuki bits let's be real here it was it wasn't a serious endeavor compared to what this is going to be you've got an owner big budget big finance yeah. big sponsor yeah and factory yeah. equipment yeah they've got big name sponsors big equipment justin understands racing very very well he he's he's all for this in in that sense and that's going to be big um like and from a cultural standpoint it's a foot in the door for america again and the sport needs an american influence there's many many time there's many many bike fans that are waiting for it for a reason to be invested in moto gp again because we know the series is basically dead in the u.s when it comes to actual coverage they now have an American team they can easily root for with a popular brand and likable drivers. Let's not forget, Trackhouse had Ross Chastain as championship runner-up last year and had the viral moment of NASCAR in the last 10 years. Like, this is... That, Just why it immediately house. got banned. Yeah, and uh, they've yeah, had the, this F1 team drivers drive for them as well. They, they get it. They absolutely get it. Um, so like, it's, it's just nice to be excited about something in MotoGP again for the first time in a while. And to that effect, I am so glad that our fears from that season review, sorry, this is the season review, the final race episode, um, that this team was going to end up in limbo. Well, Trackhouse put that to bed pretty much right away. And, uh, well, People getting paid. Always better than uh, leaving seven figures of unpaid debts in the paddock. Absolutely. And yeah, that's a, that's a win-win for everybody involved. 
and I'm excited to see what this team will do livery-wise. I'm excited to see what this team does performance-wise. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I can't wait to, uh, to to see how that goes. Um, very excited for that. Let's get into KTM, which again, another what, what do weird... we make of KTM this year? <laughs> this is a weird mixed bag of a year for KTM because on the one hand, you've got one shining star, and that was Brad Binder who put together his the best Lord. The Lord Brad Binder who put together his 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 best season in MotoGP Day. Fourth in the championship this year, two hundred and ninety-three points, the highest rankings runner that wasn't on a Duke this year. Didn't win a Grand Prix. Two sprint wins on the year, but didn't ultimately win a Grand Prix. Had five podiums across the season. Um, Jack Miller on the other end, not so strong. 11th in the standings, two sprint podiums. Only once did he get on a Grand Prix podium all year long. And then Tech 3 was a bit of a mess. I mean, Augusto Fernandez was solid. Um, 17th rookie of the year, had the fourth place at Le Mans. Um, generally, I think he was highly regarded for his effort across the field against the MotoGP guys who care. I think a lot of people were like, no, Fernandez is genuinely good um, and had a, did a solid job of what was given this year. Holder Spargaro only took part in 12 races because he missed the first eight after that horrifying Portimao practice crash on Friday. The- his, his season effectively ended day one. His career was is now probably over because of that one incident. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank goodness Paul is, relatively speaking, all right, because uh, man's almost died. What do I make of this? Because for much of this year, KTM were the clear number two team, other than those splashes of uh, the, the, those flashes where in Aprilia were very, very quick. But also... The usual KTM bugbears arrived where there were weekends where they were amazing and fighting for wins. And there were weekends where they were struggling to get bikes in the top 10 and seemingly no explanation as to why. I don't know if it's a a, like an Aprilia extreme where it's like the peaks are even higher, but the troughs are even lower. It's it's kind of a peaks weren't quite as high this year overall. Um. And that should be, I think, concern for KTM, even though they beat Aprilia in the standings. Um, that, like, but they KTM beat them last has been too. KTM has been slogging away at this. Yeah, and that's the thing. KTM beat Aprilia last year too. This isn't as big a gain for them as they as they think it might be. I mean, yeah, Binder was excellent. He peaked for KTM in a, in a sense, but as an overall team, they were probably slightly weaker by having Miguel Oliveira out and then Brad Binder come in and not Binder, sorry, Jack yeah. Miller come in. And uh, we need to have an we need to have a dialogue on Jack Miller. Is he cooked? He might uh, I have concerns with both of their riders right now. And this is weird mm. to say and I'll get to this. Like like with Brad Binder Amazingly he's gone two and a half years since his last win, which I think is already startling for a rider of his quality. Um, you know, he, I think he openly admitted he kind of pulled back when he want, when he had chances to win because he didn't want to take anybody out, which is weird because in the back end of the year, Binder... He took got, a bunch of people out. He was like, messy. Yeah, like mad, overly aggressive and scrappy. And like 
He was pulling off moves that we butcher Mark Marquez for on the internet. Binder was doing that for the whole back half of the season, and no one better than Eyelid. And I thought that was well, yeah, concerning. The, it says 33 on the front of the bike, not 93. Ah, of course, it's the Marco Melandri problem. Um, no. uh, <laughs> is he going to peace but, sign over the line? Um, <laughs> my God. Yeah, I, I, I can only echo that. And, and then Miller on the messy. other end. It was all of the usual Jack Miller problems. Yes, we all know he's incredible. We all know he's incredibly quick, as fast as anybody on his day. But again, butchering tires, power sliding bikes, falling down the order in the back half of races. Uh, around the time he became a dad, there was genuine argument that he should be the one that was chopped out of the KTM setup for Pedro Acosta. And I was like, okay, I'll entertain a discussion on this because. He was their worst rider for a large amount of this year because Augusto Fernandez was less spectacular, but a hell of a lot higher floor. I mean, you took Jack Miller, who has never seen a tire he hasn't worn out, and you put him on the bike with perennial tire wear problems. Not a good combination. And when Jack was good, there's still something there. He is still fast. But he's the same rider he's always been, and he was never going to benefit being dropped out of the Ducati factory team to a KTM that, again, I think still has fundamental problems understanding their bike and understanding why it's good and where it's good. Um, and yeah, back to Bender for a second. Brad Bender has like made he has made himself on. He's the he's Mister Sunday Man. He's consistent. He's smart on Sunday. And he rode like a jackass, pun not intended, in the second half of this year. Yeah, a lot of overly aggressive overtakes, a lot of punts, a lot of costed himself positions via last lap track limits. And he did that three times this year as well. He took himself off a podium through last lap track limit violations. Just it's just sloppy riding. Very, I'm actually thinking about very George Russell-esque, if you look at their two years. from George Russell's generally the guy I consider like, all right, in 2022, really solid on race day, very high floor. This year was scrappy. I feel like Bender had a very mirrored season in that way. Very much so. And and I expect more out of Bender because I for a, for a period of time this year, I thought Bender was rider of the year doing what he was doing that was put right to bed in the second half of this season yeah yeah i'd actually now definitely put bears above him in my pound for pound rankings for the year as a rider overall in terms of quality this season um pedro acosta coming in to the tech free team next year alongside augusto um augusto won the fight to have the number 37 which i thought was quite funny um, I was like, no, nah, maybe I'll share with him. And then, of course, there was like, no, you're fucking not, kid. Um, which I thought was, again, quite funny. Um, but uh, Acosta and Fernandez will be their team next year. Paul Espargaro gone. My, my, my deep sympathies for Paul, first and foremost. I mean, that, that crash and the way it played out, it was a career ender in all but name. And there was nothing anybody could have done about that. It's just incredibly... I think the right decision was ultimately made here, um, but I, 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 it doesn't mean I have to like it. In, in right, if you were going to cut one of the four, yeah, it was going to be we, Paul. 
and, we, and, and the thing is, we I'd argue Paul Espargaro's best work was on a KTM. We know how good he can be on this motorcycle. He has been excellent on there in years past. He genuinely does know what he's doing, and we never saw the best of him in MotoGP this season with Tech 3 because this season was over before it had even started. And sadly, he's not the only guy we're going to be talking about with that this year. Um, it's a real shame. And he's one of the, like, we didn't like his time at Honda, but he's always, he's always been a quality rider outside of that time. And it's a shame that he's had to, this may be the end of his career and he's lost it in such a, just an, just a unfortunate fashion. Um, you it's know, not supposed to end this way. You know? No. Definitely not. And and I think a lot of this is also not only pole, but also KTM for once again getting themselves into a right mangle over their rider contracts and their rider situations. But also the, the politics of the sport, because KTM... Oh, getting into that, yeah. Yeah, KTM wanted to have six bikes on the grid for 2024. They were more than prepared to either... Um, using Husqvarna uh, as one of their side brands for a MotoGP team or some sort of tie-up with Red Bull, which we all know they're very close to at KTM. Yeah, they do that, They do the arrow on the spike, actually. Yeah, like they use Red Bull's be wind tunnel. Yeah, it could, there's no one better for that. But um, the mm. point is, they could have they could have solved all their problems with two more bikes on the wheel. They would have been able to bring up Acosta, not cut anybody, and make a genuine run for Mark Marquez, either this year or next year. Um, it would have solved all of their problems. We all know KTM will write Marquez a blank check tomorrow, and Red Bull will probably help fund some of that deal if it really came down to it, because we all know that KTM's in bed with Red Bull. So We didn't even mention it with Honda. They actually lost Red Bull as one of their primary sponsors. They're going. They're following them as an individual rider, but Repsol will not have Red Bull on their, on their bikes next year. So, yeah ktm once again getting caught up in politics um whether it be rider politics or sporting politics it's messy again yeah i I mean it's it's another example where ktm tries to um subvert the sport with their will and the sport tells them to f off because they more or less signed up their riders um in such a way that they were going to have to have six bikes six riders into four doesn't go and then KTM are the ones who were throwing a fit about it. Exactly, and yeah, it's 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 it, it was political warfare. There was rumors at one point that KTM was like, "Hey, we're not going to give up our concessions on on our side of the rule on this unless you give us two more bikes." Um, and Donna was like, "Kick rocks." Uh, so I, I would say, if they want to play that kind of hardball, we just we saw Dorna play hardball with the team. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Really want to play that game? Yeah. Um, so I just don't know where KTM goes from here because it feels it, like they is have there all grounds the same to problems. Improve? Yeah, like, I, I, like, it feels like they have all the same problems every single year. We know Brad Binder is quality. The revolving door on the second uh, factory bike doesn't help. Um, We'll see what happens with that, but I, I don't expect Jack Miller to look. We've seen enough of a sample size with Jack. We know who he is as a rider. Um, I think it'll be better next year for it, but I, I, I God, am concerned. I hope so I, I am concerned because um, 
if, if if Pedro Acosta is halfway decent in, in, as a rookie next year, they will have the They'll itch to move him up immediately. Yeah, no question. And Miller will be the one sacrificed. No doubt in my mind about that. You know, so we shall see. It will be the second time <laughs> in Miller's career that a young prospect has come up and stolen his lunch money, um, which uh, would be... Not again. First Bastianini, now this. I mean, that wouldn't that be something? But, but, but like... In a minute. Before before we unpack the Red Menace, I'll say, KTM, this has been the same story since you came into the sport. They have to figure out how to set the bike up. This was they a just, problem before Arrow. This is a problem before ride height devices. They'll put the bike on the track, and they will have no idea why it's fast and why it isn't. Exactly. They, they need to get this shit figured out. They We know their bike is good. On a good day, it can Fast. genuinely beat Ducati straight up. When they have they have two riders who on their good days can do that. Um you know, it's, see it's... In, in, in Indonesia or in, in yeah, in, in Burry Ram, sorry. Um the shapes that Brad Bender was making to fight for that win. Binder did everything right except win that race. <laughs> We know that they are on knocking on the door when they're good. But they need to be good a hell of a lot more often. And for a, a factory the size of KTM and the amount of resources and the amount of money they're throwing at this, it's still terrifying to me that Danny Pedrosa could walk in tomorrow and do a job for them. <laughs> like, um, he, he was the second best rider this year <laughs> overall. <laughs> Pedrosa is still so good. Like, I had to mention before we moved on as well, because Danny Pedrosa did two wildcard weekends and was... Was like, him on both of them. Yeah. Like, Danny Pedrosa is... He, he he was getting stand innovations every time he came back to the garage. They love him in this KTM camp. And I'm glad that the team has finally recognized just how valuable he is, because he's been priceless in getting KTM to wear it. And Mika Kalia, he deserves his flowers as well. They've both worked exceptionally hard to get this team where it is. And like, I love that we all joked on our MotoGP Slack chat about this when I was part of the race. And it was just like, guys, it's not that Bautista is bad. It's that Danny Pedrosa is just that fucking good. Um, still, in his, in his 38th year of life, Pedrosa would walk back into MotoGP tomorrow and be a top six rider is immense. Well, and that and the fact that uh, not that this is a World Superbike podcast, but Alvaro Bautista is very, very badly injured. Yes, to see how that plays out in his own series next year. I hope he's okay. Uh, well, I'm relatively speaking, but uh, yeah, not not an ideal scenario for a big regulation change that cripples him for being light than than most people in the first place, and then he's got genuine back and nerve damage. Um, as he enters his 40th year of life. Not ideal um, at all for, for Bautista, so wishing the best where that's concerned. Um, Going to be an interesting time to keep an eye on World Bikes over 2024. We'll see how that new era goes with uh, Jonathan Ray on a Yamaha top rack on a BMW and Bautista still being him. Uh, but for how much longer, we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of Ducati, Ducati. Um... um. Beatings, beatings, beatings. The team that only lost three races out of twenty the entire season. Um, we'll go. We'll go into this team by team. We'll try and make sense because there's four of them to get through here. 
we'll, we'll do the probably the least interesting one first, and that was the Grassini team for now. Um, out of the four, <laughs> I, I, until the last day of the season, the least interesting one here. Oh, absolutely. Um, um Alex Marquez ninth mm. in the points had a pole. Had, uh, had a pole position, a couple of sprint wins, a couple of podiums. Fabio Di Giantonio, 12th in the points, 151. I think something like 120 of his points this year came from Japan onwards. Oh, it's just, it's, it comes My to dude like, oh. got fired and said, hey, watch this. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, like, just my moment full usher with it. Just you know, hand waving, watch this as like, and then you know, I'm gonna get a job. I'm or, about to do the funniest thing on the planet, and just starts beating everyone else. Won a race, beat Banyaya straight up in Qatar, and very nearly did it again in Valencia as well. Um, before uh, until finding out what tire pressures were, uh, unfortunately, but still, an interesting place. Alex Marquez, I think, genuinely showed some good improvement this year as a rider to crack the top 10. He should have been, I think, a little higher. I think he was very unlucky the first half of the season as well. Multiple, multiple times. times. By, by ins- <laughs> usually by insert Premac rider here to the chagrin of your brother. <laughs> Because uh, I'm pretty sure uh, I'm I'm pretty sure Ryan Harrison has converted his room to an axe grinding facility exclusively for the beheading of Jorge Martin and Johan Zarco. Oh yeah, it was a it was a messy time to be a, a fan of his, especially in the first half of the year because he was wiped out multiple times over. Um, as Vic in that chat points out, Alex Marquez was another rider this year who kept getting cartoon anvils dropped on him by other Ducatis. Um, yep. And that sums it up. But a couple of sprint wins, you know, won the sprint at Silverstone, won the sprint in Sepang. There's clearly something brewing here with Alex, or he's finally getting some consistent form together, showing some of that speed that we've always known he's had from the time he was at the, 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 uh, his, his Repsol Honda cameo from 2020 we knew he was fast on his day and he's showing that a bit more frequently now and that is good he's on and really i think the in his own words the thing that he's needed to learn how to do is to trust the bike because the ducati will give you confidence it will give you the ability to straddle the line straddle the limit and not kill you for it yeah Um, Uh, he, he openly admitted when he broke two of his ribs earlier on in the season he, it was actually that riding within himself when he was injured made him realize just how much he could take the piss with this Ducati. It made him a better rider, which is really weird. It's like, if anyone knows their cricket, it's like the Ashes in 2005 when Freddie Flintoff was injured, but actually having that restraint made him a better batter. It's really weird, but this is how athletes can work sometimes where being injured can make you a bit more aware of what's going on around you and it can make you better. It's 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 what we saw with the driving um, in Baku this year in F1, where actually losing that race taught Max a lot more on how to get the most out of this Red Bull, and we know what happened. Um, weird to say, Ducati had they lost three races this year, and that is not even remotely the most dominant performance by an entity this year. Not even twenty twenty three was weird. Twenty twenty three was weird. With looking at the lap time comparison for Alex. Between this bike and last year's Honda, it's almost like going. There's times where it's like going from Moto Two to Moto GP. 
Right. Where he, there's times where he's gaining over a second and a half on raw lap time because no one can ride a Honda like his brother. And okay. certainly he couldn't. Fabio Digi Antonio. What a season what that was. What the hell was hell that? <laughs> because, okay, this dude was one of the worst riders in MotoGP by every objective measure. And then he got fired. And then he was the second best rider in MotoGP, objectively. Statistically. Yeah, it's... What it's, the it's, hell? It's incredibly bizarre how this played out, because I think it was right around Indonesia sort of time where Frankie Kocecki, who is... You know, he's, he's their crew chief. He was crew chief there for that bike and will be for Mark Marquez next year. Remember that. It will likely become important later. Um, it's already important. Clearly unlocked something within Fabio in the back half of this year when they had clearly had nothing to lose. So they clearly thought, sod it, let's have a go. Changed the setup, and all of a sudden, Fabio was riding like a top five rider the back half of this season. Won a race, arguably should have won another one if it wasn't for Frankie himself holding up and saying, "Look, I got it wrong. I, I I played it. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't safe enough on tire pressures in Valencia when he knew he had a Joker to play and and crossed the line in the sprint and the Grand Prix." But no matter which way you slice it, Fabio Di Giantonio was one of the best riders in the field the back half of this season. He was exceptional, and it showed that he can ride at the very highest level. And Dre, it saved his career. Races, the six races before Japan, starting with uh, the Netherlands. Uh, retirement, 13th, 17th, 10th, 17th retirement. Japan, 8th, Fourth, third, ninth, ninth, win fourth. It's just, it's just incredible. Like that was he was twentieth. Last year's bike as well. Yeah, he was twentieth in the championship last year. I think he was twentieth when that change happened last year. He was arguably the worst full timer in the field, pound for pound. And he, and he, he had twenty four points last year. Yeah, he, he turned it around so thoroughly. It saved his MotoGP career because VR forty six was like, well, we've got to sign him. He's too good. There was there was no better option available. Um, to be fair, I think Fermin Aldeguer's manager got very greedy towards the end of his Moto Two season, asking for a one million euro buyout for a Moto Two rider. Come on now, Raúl Fernández yeah, was four hundred for less. He might have actually got it because my dude was hotter than the surface of the sun to finish this Moto Two season. Right. Um, goofy it, behavior, but hotter than the surface of the sun. I mean, DG Antonio defeated Ben Yaya in single combat. You, you don't do that by chance. Not like, often, no. Like, he was incredible. And I'm glad that VR46 took the punt on him in the end because he doesn't really fit what they would normally take on as a rider, but he was too good not to employ. And like, like I said, Fermin Aldeguer's agent was a dum-dum. Raul Fernandez had a €400,000 buyout, and he had the best Moto2 rookie season in history. And You're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. Aldebar was good to close out the year. He was very good to close out the year, but he was not Raul Fernandez's 2021. Hell no. Nothing has ever been. No. Like That uh, is a guy you spend half a million bucks to unlock. Not a million for Aldebar, who really only got hot the last four rounds of the year. Like, call it what it is in that sense. Um, anyway, 
let's get into the VR forty six team a little bit more, shall we? Um, and we got to cut to the chase here. Marco Bezzecchi, third in the standings this year, three hundred and twenty nine points, three pole positions, two wins, seven podiums, a sprint win as well. For me, like if it wasn't for Banyai, I would say he's my rookie. He's my rider of the year this year. Bez was sensational. Let's not forget. He was 14th in the standings last year. 14th. Third this year. Incredible improvements as a rider. Where did this come from? Um, I think the overarching theme of Ducati that we can say is that this was the first year Ducati got off to the start that they really should have been getting years ago. There was no teething issues. They were just on it and had the team under their – had the sport – under their boot from day one. Um, and this was Bez's arrival. Unfortunately, second half of the team badly blunted by a broken collarbone. Yeah. Um, he tailed off heavily in the second just, half. We'll just to wasn't see how the same guy after that. Him. Yeah, and a, a collarbone is... Uh, look, I've, I've had a bone bruise on a collarbone, tried to ride a bike before. It's not fun. Breaking it, ouch. I, I don't own any motorcycles that have 300 horsepower, but I'm sure someone does out there. Can't imagine it's very fun. Um, it's it's a it's shame. a mix. It's a mix of yes, this was really great as a first title lunge because he was competing for this title before that injury. Not bad. But then you get into how do you judge this? Do you judge this as fighting with the big kids now? And to that effect, it fell a little bit short. It was falling a little bit short even beforehand, where I think he just lacked that last little percentage. Or do you judge it as this is his first time fighting with the big kids? And this was really good. I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, I, I lean towards the more positive end on that. I, I think like, mm. no one in their right mind had Bez as a title contender going into this season. He was a, a solid rookie, but he wasn't blowing people away in 2022. This was him on this was him two levels above what we had him at as a rookie last year. For a second-year rider in MotoGP, this was sensational. This was this guy's got future world champion level potential underneath him. I yes. can't ask for anything more than the, what Bez did this year. Yeah, the injury was unfortunate. Yes, there was a couple of silly crashes in there here and there. And I still think he needs to find a little bit more consistency. But the upside on this kid, he reminds me of Marco Simoncelli. And that is something that I I, I, I don't use that term loosely. He's a very, very fast rider. And someone that if he fully realizes his potential is going to be right up there with Vanyaya and Martin next year. No question. Like this year showed he's got him level of level of promise in there. You do, you don't come into this team and, and, and on year two, you're smacking Luca Marini around by over a hundred points. Okay. Yeah, blew Luca Marini into the middle of next week. Yeah. And Marini had a good year in his own right. This was not a bad season by Luca Marini by any measure couple of pole positions, couple of podium finishes. Good sprint rider. Four, four times gone on the sprint podium as well. So over half distance, very, very fast. Um, again, not peaking like, like Bez did, obviously. But again, 
in a vacuum, this would be a good year by Luca Marini. Like, okay, he's taking a step forward. He's in the top 10 now. He's got a couple of genuine highlights to take from this season. There's there's some promise here. Um, but Bez was just so goddamn good. It just didn't matter. It's, it's beaten by, it, by over 125 points. Right. It's You know what this is? This is when Ken Griffey Jr. hit 56 home runs in a season in the same year that the, that the Maguire-Sammy Sosa home run chase was going on at the same time. It just didn't matter anymore. It was just yeah. like... It's like, this is, this brilliant, is brilliant, but this is this far, is more, far brilliant. more brilliant. <laughs> um, exactly. And yeah, yeah. Marini, I, I, I hate to say it, kind of anonymous through the middle part of the year. Great floor, but not a lot of ceiling. Lots of, lots of fringe top five down to about seventh, but never much lower than that. Right, and I think... That's why Johan Zarco made those sort of backhanded compliments he'd made about Marini, where he was saying things like, he's a thinking man's rider, he's very intelligent, because he had... He, I think the, the term he used was lack of talent. And I was like, oof. Um, Spicy. Like, a bit harsh, but um, I could see the logic in what he was saying. But I thought that was very harsh, but um, maybe that'll be a good, a good thing when he joins Honda next year, because they need some patience and some intelligence on that setup, and well, the problem is Marini that they're now be... fundamentally under the same roof. Can't imagine that's going to go too well for. Uh, <laughs> but, well, that's the general theme: is everyone else who's not involved is just like, yeah, good luck on Honda, buddy. Yeah, um, and look, I've interviewed Luca Marini. Very nice bloke. Very frosty when he when he wants to be. If you if you mm. if if you if you feed him a dumb question, he'll let you know about it. I'll, I'll say that, but he's, he's no nonsense, Luca. Because it ran in the blood in that family. It must do, because uh, <laughs> like he's like he's like half his brother, like his half brother, very no nonsense when he wants to be. Um, mm. and and that might be what Honda needs, someone that's just a complete non bullshitter, and that could be helpful. Who knows? We we'll have to wait and see how that camp runs, mm. especially with Davide Brivio. That's going to be interesting. Pramac. And I, I, again, I cannot stress this enough. Congratulations to them for winning the team's title. That is a that is a remarkable. First the first independent team to ever win the MotoGP team's title, and a salute to them because that is no easy task given how stacked this sport is. Um, given it's never happened before. Yeah, we've it, had it, independent they, teams since the sport was born. Both riders in the top five of the standings. Johan Zarco, fifth on 225 points. You forget, Johan Zarco had four pole positions this year, which is just wild. But again, over a lap, there are a few better in MotoGP than him. Um, uh, one, he finally got that first win in Phillip Island. Um, as well, actually, no, sorry, I got the wrong name. I got, I got actually confused my column. It's actually four poles for Martin. You'd, you'd have thought he had more this year. We'll get to him in a minute. But um, he, he got six podiums in his first win in Philip Island. We all talked about that during the time. It was a, a great occasion. We finally got the Zarco backflip after six and a half years on the shelf. Uh, we got to see that back again, which was cool. Jorge Martin, championship runner-up, 428 points, four wins, nine sprint wins, the undisputed sprint king of the season, um, eight podiums on the year. 
we've talked about Zarko at length a couple of times on this review already. Let's go straight to to Martin. I mean, what the hell do you make of this season? It's like it's like the it's like the most frustrating breakout year you could possibly imagine. When he was good, he was the best rider in the sport, and by Untouchable. a not and by a not small margin. In terms of raw talent, he is as good as any of them. Um, and unlike other members of what I would say the top five is right now, he, alongside Benyaya, has the bike to prove it. Um, the bike to show it. And mm. yet, when he was bad, it was almost unwatchable because he would just do silly shit. Throwing wins away from comfortable leads, riding through people. I mean, he went bowling in Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, crypto data didn't pay for that bowling episode, but damn, did we get one? Um, and generally just as a first run at a title, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. A commendable effort, a commendable effort against a guy in Banyaya who was terrific in the clutch. However, this was a very winnable title for Martin, and it seems like he got caught up in just about everything but the riding down the stretch, and he folded like cheap cardboard. I think you've... I, I've got very little to add here that I can only echo the sentiments of that you've already said. Martin, like, it's... He's way it's, too emotional and obsessed with getting in Benyaya's head rather than just riding the damn motorcycle down the stretch. I, and and I, I get why he did that in Valencia. I understand why he did. And oh, like, I think he, beyond just Valencia, I think for three or four bit. races, I think, I think he was like he, he was playing games rather than just getting on with the job. A little bit. I, I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to be too harsh on on Martin because this this is a huge step forward for Martin. This was like, bef- we've done he did this not show. have a good 22. We'll say that. No. And like, this is a guy that we were worried about his job a couple of years ago. Like with Banyaya. Banyaya was that guy when he first started in MotoGP uh, a little while ago. That we, we were, there was genuine arguments to, to replace him with Johan's Arco. That was a, that was a very real conversation that was had at the time. I don't want to be too harsh on Martin. Cause this was his first year as a true contender. And that, is something we have to take into account here. This is, again, like Bez, a guy that has taken a huge leap forward. We saw the potential with Martin a couple of years ago as to what he could do. This was the year he fully realized that. And the format change, no no rider in the field utilized the format change of the sprint race better than he did. Nine sprint wins is a remarkable accomplishment. That is insane speed. And like you said, on a good day, if he was dialed in, completely untouchable. Not even Manyaya was like that this year at times. Only a couple of there the times. Was, there was but- two or three races where, I mean, he blew Banyaya out of the water, and this is with Banyaya blowing the rest of the field out of wa- the water behind him. Right. And um, like, that just doesn't happen. Martin won four times, and, and the four times it were, like, were impressive. But y- you cannot talk about Martin's season in a fair manner without mentioning Indonesia and Australia, that two-race sequence where he was three seconds clear of Maverick Vinales 
in Indonesia and crashed from the lead when he lost concentration and binned it. And then one round later in Australia, in my opinion, he a needless gamble. One of the qualifying laps of the year, certainly the two wheel qualifying lap of the year, he beat that field by half a second. And Incredible then he throws lap. on the soft tires. And Michelin told them, told them not to do it. But Michelin was like, we strongly recommend you don't use the soft. And then Martin gambled on the soft. He didn't, he had enough pace where he didn't need to gamble on that tire. He did, and he got punished badly. That's Half what I talk about short. when I say he was a lap away from it looking like a stroke of genius. And instead, I mean, across those two races, he left 35 plus points on the table. In a championship, Just, he lost by 39. In a championship, he lost by 39, which also involved riding like a complete jackass in the season finale and um, impaling Mark Marquez. <laughs> no better word for um, it. He will learn from this. I think he will. He better learn from this. But you, I don't think you're going to win any MotoGP titles at this point being head empty only speed. No. You need more than that to beat Banyaya. Because Banyaya has that Ben Banyaya is that same guy. But he has far more risk mitigation than Martin does. And that is a scary sentence given the context of Banyaya's two championships in the top flight. But you could Both oh, of them get... left a lot of points on the table. Yeah, and we'll talk about Banyaya in a, in a minute. As, and I think there's a key stat that I think sums that that battle up that I don't think has been addressed, which I'll get to in a minute. But yeah, like I, I, this is still a this is still a great season by Jorge Martin, and one that shows he's not just this pretender with raw speed. He can put together a title campaign, and he he deserved to be in the conversation for the championship this year, and he earned it. But he also threw it away, and that is something that I hope he will learn from on and off the track because I've we didn't talk about this a lot um, and, and this news has come up and I want to address this on the show as well um, on a Spanish TV interview a couple of weeks ago Jorge Martin used a a slur in, in Spanish language that translates to F word the other F word um, I'm glad that Martin came out and apologized for this last week and it wasn't just a Sorry if you were offended. It was a sorry. No, this is a genuine like. It, it was a sincere I'm sorry, apology. I fucked up. I'm sorry. Um, I messed up. We mm. need to evolve our use of like, the key was we need to evolve our use of language. He acknowledged that this wasn't just a a sorry if you were offended. This was a genuine. We need to look in the mirror and reflect about what wordage we are using here. It was a sincere and a good apology, which is rare in this space, and I want to acknowledge that. Um, I don't think very he's a bad concerning, player. very concerning the droves of people that then attempted to defend him for it while he himself sincerely apologized for the remark, including the Leisha Spargaro. I expected better yeah. from him from the elder statesman of the paddock. You know, there's a lot of people that need to look in the mirror and do better. Um, tell your kids about that, Alish. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm glad he's apologized. This just does not make what he did acceptable in any way, shape, or form. No, but um, it, I I believe that 
if you want to do our due diligence as journalists and as broadcasters, we we should acknowledge the fact that he did come out with a sincere apology. And I hope it's reflective of his entire season because I hope he reflects, looks back and say, you know what, that was a good year, but you know what that could have been. And it could have been so much more from from Martin. And he's, he's very nearly there. That's what makes it so frustrating. He, he threw away the back half of a lot of this season and still only lost the title by 39. It was doable. It was a winnable championship, no question. And uh, I hope he learns from that in the future. The factory team. Uh, Enea Bastianini. Oh, my uh, goodness. Only finished, 11 ra- only finished 11 races out of 20 this year. 15th in the championship and his entire season got derailed from two key flashpoints. One, being taken out by Luca Marini in the first sprint race ever in MotoGP history in Portimao. And he missed five rounds through that. And then he missed four more when he tucked the front at turn one at Catalonia and took out literally almost every Ducati in the field. Bastianini was the other season alongside Paul Spargo that basically ended before it began. And with all that promise coming in from 22, he was monstrously quick in 2022 on the year old Ducati that unlike the 22 when it first arrived, there was no teething pains. The 21 just worked from day one. This 23 worked from day one, and yet he did not get to reap the benefits of it. When he wasn't riding hurt, he wasn't riding at all. And uh, just a wasted season from a very, very talented young man. Such a shame. Um, it's it, he, He's so good. And like I said, last... Again, let's not forget, Martin this year was Bastianini last year. Maybe exactly. Not, yeah, like, it, it, it was, and arguably it was even more impressive given that Bastianini was on the previous year's bike. Yes, there was some Ducati early TV problems, but we all know how good Bagnaia was. And Bastianini last year gave as good as he got as Bagnaia did in the back half of that 2022 season as well. We That was a guy that took a huge leap forwards last season. And his entire year got derailed right from the start, and he just could not recover it. And it's a I mean, real shame because um, he, he's another guy that could be in contention next year if the setup all goes to plan. We all know the ability is there with Bastianini. He, he, he's proven that in the last year that um, he's good enough to contend. And um, I, mean, I mean, the big worry this year was that his his job was under the gun because. There was talk that if Martin won the title, he would get jettisoned from the factory team and swapped over to Premac because Premac is only they're really a half factory, half independent with the support and, you know, the, the support behind the scenes they get from Ducati. But he had one win this year where he just blew the field out of the water in Malaysia. His best finish otherwise was eighth on three occasions. Yeah. Not just unfortunate. Um, yeah. Uh, one five-race stretch where he was out. One four-race stretch where he was out. Um, three of those overall being DNSs as he tried to come back and he was in too much pain because the injuries he got were injuries you can't ride through. You can't ride through a broken shoulder blade. You just can't do it, especially not on one of these things. Um, champion. Man. The champion. 
and I don't know what to think. I, I know what to think. Mm. But there's one stat that when I was looking through all of this that leapt off the page to me is why Bagnaia won this title and why Martin didn't. Jorge Martin had eight podium finishes this year. Francesco Bagnaia had 15. Yeah, I'll do it. That's the stat. That's the one. I was and like, yet, <laughs> that doesn't explain that points gap. The sprints. The sprints, like. The sprints. The, it, it's like their two seasons are like mirrored with one another. Right. And it's. And even time frame wise, in the first half, the only thing keeping Banyaya ahead was the sprints. Mm-hmm. In the second half, the only thing keeping Martin in contention was the sprints. It's so weird how the parallel swapped as the season went on. I think Martin won seven out of the last eight sprints to close out the year. Um, and Banyaya won four of the first seven or eight sprints to start the year because he had some. He had a rough start to this season because he obviously he tucked the front at Cota and Austin and we thought, oh no, same old Banyaya again. He tucked the front at Argentina in the wet and we thought, oh, just take the points, Banyaya. We're doing this again. And to his credit, there was only one DNF, you know, for the, for the back half of the year and that was in India and that was of his own making. But Banyaya, when, when, when it mattered, he started using those sprints to develop Grand Prix stint strategy and knowing how far he could push. It was an intelligent thinking man season from Manuel that won him this championship. And that what he did in the back half of this season was the Banyai that we'd always wanted him to be. The guy that found his level, found his mark, found his consistency, and didn't necessarily think he had to win every race to win the championship. He became the point scorer, and that's what got him over the line this time, without question. At times. Because he did also try to throw the bike up the road in Qatar, counter-lunging when he had no reason to. Hail Mary. Thankfully, he missed and wasn't punished for it. Not really. Um, I get get your point. It's just both of these two championship protagonists just left so many points on the table this year. Whether it be in sprints, whether it be tucking the front from wins. You look at Banyaya's, you know, down the stretch, and you look at Martins in purely race and you think there is no way that Martin only finished 39 points behind, but then there's the sprints. That was a difference maker. Uh, and that that's what was keeping Martin in it down the stretch. It, it, it was the death by a thousand cuts. I'm going to take three points out of here. I'm going to take five points out of here in these sprints. And I'm going to have to make you try and bully you into going hard in the Grand Prix to make up the difference. And it was just the way that Martin closed out the year. That included, and To be fair, we didn't even include the dud tire he got in Qatar, which completely ruined any which chance of the title. Which we don't know if it was or not. Because yeah, but, Michelin tore the thing down, so there's nothing wrong with it. Who do you want to believe on that one? Because there was Michelin has precedent. I checked my work, and I have found nothing wrong with it. 
you know, uh, it depends on who, you, who, who do you want to believe on that one? Because like I said, Michelin has precedent for getting this wrong. Um, yes, they do. So, Another weird thing down the stretch as well is that Benyaya was the constant. He was the constant on the podium. He never wavered from the podium down the stretch while everyone else did. Sometimes it was Bender. Sometimes it was Martin. Sometimes it was Zarco with his win uh, in Phillip Island. Sometimes it was DG Antonio. Six straight podiums to close out the year. Nobody else came close. Yeah, and, and in that no sense, one else had he more became... Even with the flaws in leaving the points on the table, he was the most floor out of all the floor guys, which is weird to say when he only won this championship with 467 points, which when you delete the sprints from it is the year is actually kind of messy. Yeah. And that's ignoring the fact that we still don't know what happened, but he attempted to travel to Saturn in Catalonia. And we will never know just how or why that came about because Ducati said, we don't know. We looked at the data, nothing looked out of place. Was it a rider error? Was it something with the bike we don't know about? We will probably never know unless Banyaya or someone deep within Ducati reveals it for themselves or figures something out that we don't know about. But He dodged the the biggest bullet of the year because... He was hit mid-track by a bike, and he hit it at just the right angle that it left him with contusions and nothing more. He could have died that day. And we're having a very Genuinely. different conversation about this sport. And uh, again, we, we, we could have been, it could have been world champion killed in, in, in Catalonia incident. I cannot stress that enough. We were very close to that being an actual thing. And yeah, we got away with one there. And uh, the sport as a whole got away with one there. But the way Banyai mitigated that incident, to, came round to Masano seven days later, could barely walk, but still got a podium in the sprint and the Grand Prix that weekend. Guts, fortitude, all of those words we used to describe what these riders can do um, was remarkable. And yeah. Like I said, seven out of eight on the podium to close out the year. Like I said, nobody else in the field had more than three to close out the season. He, he found consistency at the best possible time, and he, he did exactly what he he did exactly what he needed to do. Watching Mar- Martin self destruct across the across the way because he yeah, didn't need absolutely. to go for wins because Martin was just either spitting the bike up the road or uh, spitting it into the side of a Honda. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, it's uh, the funny thing is I still think Banyai could be is capable of even, of even greater heights than what, than what That's he's it. achieved. I, this d- I don't think if you judge this in the context of a stoner or a Lorenzo or a Marquez year, he did not have a particularly amazing year as far as points percentage. No. He can do better. And that's that's the scary thing. You absolutely can do better. Before we get out of here, um, we've talked a lot about some of these issues in the sport before, but just to put a neat little bow on 2023 as a, as a MotoGP season, it was already gone 105 minutes here as well. Um, do not get it twisted. We we were spoilt. We had a genuine title decider down the stretch um, to very different very interesting protagonist at the front of the queue. This was not a great season. 
Not in my opinion. Like, we were lucky that the title fight bailed the season out to a degree, and that, if anything, that that Bandai injury brought Martin back into play brilliantly, and that's what kind of made it interesting down the stretch. The overall race quality is not great. Cratered. It cratered this year. It's not great. There was... There this was, was three the or four good races. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a three or four great races. Like Germany was great. Philip Island always delivers. It did again. Um Buriram was fantastic. Probably the race of the year for Moto GP. Um, but that was the exception. I'll 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 be honest with you. I didn't even think Philip Island was especially great until Martin's tires melted. I thought it well, was. Well, that's what made it interesting. Down. Yeah, that's I mean, what made it interesting. But on the quality of the bikes and the racetrack, even Philip Island was had Martin not lost his mind with tire selection might have been a dud this year. And I can't live in a world where Philip Island produces dud races. No, that's, that's never going to fill you with confidence. No. And the tire pressure situation is not great. It was a farce by the end of the year with the penalties. And now that's going to be treated as a disqualification next year in a sport that does not know how to handle the tire pressure scenario. Right. Write now. this down as a Charles Barkley guarantee guarantee that we're going to see race wins struck off the board en masse next year. I think we're going to get a lot of disqualifications next season because fundamentally, mechanics do not know how their races are going to play out from the garage. And that is going to be a problem. In a sport where you're designed to take liberties. We've got the fastest motorcycles ever, Dre. Fitted with tires that are not fit for purpose. Let's call it what it is. Not ideal, and Michelin are gonna are still a year away from a potential solution to this problem, and that's a potential solution, not a guaranteed one. It, they're, 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 to be fair to Michelin, and this is not on them, they were blindsided by the amount of forces that these bikes now generate through their front tires because of the dirty air that comes from the aero and downforce these bikes now generate, and they've had to adapt themselves to figuring out something that the sport did not consider when they opened Pandora's box and aerodynamics like eight, nine years ago. And that's going to be a huge problem for this sport. Yeah, it's a collateral damage that they've not been able to figure out yet, and they likely will not do for another year. There's reasons to be optimistic. I think next year is going to be fascinating with the the paddock, with with Marquez on a Duke um, and whatnot. I think the concession system they've brought in is a genuine net positive. I like what what they've done with the adapted rules. I, I I hope it makes a difference and that Japan can figure their shit out and that Aprilia and KTM can use the subtle advantages to make gains on Ducati. I think that was the point of it, to bring everybody else up and not chop Ducati's knees away, which I think would have been fundamentally unfair. They deserve their success. They have poured tens of millions into their biking and race development, and they've been richly rewarded for it. Um, on two wheels across World Superbikes and MotoGP, they have now become the premier racing manufacturer in global in global two wheel motorsport. Now they're even trying to get into motocross now, which is going to be fascinating to see how that goes. Um, but they are winning everything, and they have made a concerted effort to win in every department, and it's worked. And they deserve all the praise in the world for that because they've been phenomenal for half a decade now, and. It's, it's working out beautifully for them. It's not going to make for a captivating title fight, though, if this keeps up. And it would be nice to see more of a competition in the field. 
that's how I look at it anyway. Can't really add a whole lot to that. I mean, I am very concerned about the state of the tires going into next year because they're not, the bikes aren't going to get slower. Nope. They're only going to get um, quicker certain. and quicker and quicker. Yep. And it feels like more than anything else, the Ducati is the one that is really straddling the game, uh, straddling the line when it comes to the tire pressure games. And I really don't want to see a title decided by a tire pressure disqualification because the sport won't give Michelin the tools needed to develop a tire because they won't let them test. Mm. Um, Mark Marquez on a Ducati. Fun. God help us all. <laughs> that is going to be a thought for the ages. Thank you for listening to all our MotoGP coverage throughout 2023. It's not been the funnest of rides, but we've tried to make it interesting, certainly. And we'll be back with more of that after the Sepang test for our season preview in the end of February. Until then, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with the 7th Motorsport 101 Award Show, uh, celebrating the best, worst, and everything in between uh, on, the, on the Motorsport 101 network across the year of 2023. Thanks, Jason, for correcting me. It's actually the eighth, but one of them was never aired, et cetera, et cetera. We get it. Um, back in the shell. But uh, yeah, until next week, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys then. Sayonara. Oh, what color die cast do you want?